Don't miss ACEC's next private market symposium on the commercial and residential real estate market taking place in Scottsdale, Arizona on March 3rd and 4th. Register today to meet leaders in business, land development, engineering, and construction to network and discuss the hot-button issues surrounding this growing market. What does the post-COVID office market look like? How will growth in the industrial distribution market meet the growing demand for e-commerce? How will demographics shape suburban growth? These questions and more will be covered at the event. Act now, space is limited. Go to acec.org to register. Welcome to Engineering Influence, a podcast from the American Council of Engineering Companies. ACEC's strength lies in its member firms and the diverse set of markets those firms operate in to serve the interests of their public and private sector clients. And it's always great to have the opportunity to bring on one of those firms to spotlight their work and really look at what they are doing to improve their communities and the world around them. And I'm pleased to bring one of those shows to you today. I am pleased to welcome to the program Carrie Smith, the president and CEO of Parsons. Parsons is a leading provider of technology-driven solutions focused on the defense, intelligence, and critical infrastructure markets, and they've been in operation for more than 75 years. Parsons provides technical design and engineering services and software products to address their customers' challenges, and they have capabilities in cybersecurity, intelligence, missile defense, space, connected communities, physical infrastructure, and mobility solutions. Now, Carrie Smith joined Parsons in 2016 as president of the Federal Solutions Business, She was promoted to Chief Operating Officer in 2018 and President and Chief Operating Officer in 2019. She was unanimously elected Chief Executive Officer of Parsons Corporation by the Board of Directors and appointed to the position in July 2021. Now, prior to joining Parsons, uh, Carrie held a series of progressive leadership roles within the defense and aerospace industry. She holds an MS in Electrical Engineering from Syracuse University and a BS in Electrical Engineering from Ohio Northern University. In 2018, she received an honorary doctorate from Ohio Northern University for her outstanding contributions to the university and the field of engineering. Now, interviewing a chief executive, uh, sometimes it's best for me to take a step back and to allow a chief executive to interview a chief executive. So I'm also pleased to welcome our president and CEO, Linda Bauerdar, to move us forward and take the mic. Linda Uh, The floor is yours. Great. Thank you, Jeff. I'm happy to be back on the podcast. I need to do this more often. You're doing a great job. So kudos to you, Jeff. Thank you. Carrie, we are so excited to have you in our offices. I think this is the second time in the short amount of time that you've been on board as the CEO of Parsons. It's been since July, I think, now. That's correct. You came on board. And um, it's, it's a pleasure to be working with you. We're excited to have you here. So... You're a CEO now. <laughs> How did that come about? You know, you're an engineer, you're a CEO. What brought you into engineering? And, and tell me a little bit about how you made it all the way up to the top ranks of such a such a significant company as Parsons. Sure. Well, thanks. First, uh, Jeff and Linda, I'm pleased to be here and I appreciate you hosting me today. Um, I'll start off. My dad kind of got me into engineering when I was really young. We, we had, um, I have one brother, one sister. He wanted all three of us to be engineers and one of us decided to be an engineer. Um, so went into engineering and uh, one of my first experiences was working as an intern at LTB Steel in downtown Cleveland. Really got hooked on the industry. 
Um, then when I graduated college, started off uh, with IBM, which subsequently became Lockheed Martin through acquisitions and had some great experiences. Um, one of them I would highlight was being one of the first women flight engineers to fly with special operations forces. So it's kind of in my blood, I would say, um, and just an exciting field. It's an opportunity to make a difference. Wow. that That's um there's so much there. I know we have a lot to talk about today in a short period of time, but I would, I would love to just take a second to dive into that a little bit. So wh why was your dad so infatuated with engineering if he wanted all three of his kids to be engineers? Was he an engineer? My dad was an engineer. What kind of an engineer was he? He was also an electrical engineer, so okay. I followed in his footsteps. Who did he work for? What kind of work? He was with Morgan Engineering, so they built cranes for steel mills. Out of Ohio? Out of Alliance, Ohio. Okay. And then you said that you were one of the first female flight engineers on a special operations mission. Yes. What did you do? So at the time, we were changing analog cockpits over to digital cockpits. So my job was basically to design the display formats. And then when the uh, test engineers were, were, when the, they were up flying, I was the flight test engineer. So I would sit between the pilot and the co-pilot, and I would teach them how to use the new digital display systems. Cool. Do you have your um, pilot's license as a result of that? I do not, but I'll tell you, I've always thought about getting one. Did, yeah, <laughs> something tells me that that's not beyond you, and probably it's going to be on your agenda for the future. Um, and then you went from IBM, which became Lockheed Martin, obviously. That's a thing in this business. I actually started out years ago in a company called EG&G that later was purchased by, and, you know, way down the road, AECOM. Yes. So, you know, that's my only claim to the engineering <laughs> profession before I came to ACEC. And, um, man, you know, it's, uh, you never know where you're going to be the next day, it seems like. The, that's the absolutely pace. true. There's been a lot of consolidation in the industry. It's really picking up. Um, that's another, that's for another podcast, though, Jeff. <laughs> we'll try to stay disciplined. Um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, diversity and inclusion. I know that that is a passion for you. It, it's a passion for me. It is also a passion for ACEC, and it's uh, we have five planks of our strategic plan, core strategic goals, and, and that is certainly uh, one of them. Um, and, you know, it's interesting trying to describe to people what ACEC's kind of unique lane is in diverse diversity and inclusion, because um, we feel very strongly about STEM programs and bringing young people into this space. But, you know, traditionally, ACEC has really been for um, the business of engineering and often focused on the leadership in engineering firms. You don't come in as a leader, you know. You don't come right out of college and become a leader. It's something that uh, evolves. But we feel really strongly about getting involved earlier on in the game for engineers that are on that track, right, that are on that path to become um, CEOs. So you are one of very few female CEOs of engineering firms. You are an engineer, and that's not always the case. I mean, some of your colleagues are people that came into the profession um, as attorneys, or mm -hmm. maybe they had a business development background. Um, so, you know, tell me a little bit about how you're taking kind of, you know, the, the purchase CEO of Parsons and moving the ball forward for people like you to come behind you and, and promoting that uh, push for diverse, diversity and inclusion, which is so important to the future of this industry and this profession. Yeah, so inclusion and diversity is one of Parsons' six core values. 
Um, and it's obviously very important to me being a woman in, in the engineering field. So when I first joined the company about five years ago, we stood up a diversity, at the time it was called Diversity and Inclusion Council. Today we call it Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Council. Um, that has been one of the best initiatives in the company with many people volunteering to participate. It's very active. We have ambassadors at each of our major locations across the company. And we also, I will highlight um, and promote it all the way up through our board. In fact, if you look at our board today, our board is about 40% diverse. So this is truly something that we take throughout the organization at all levels. We measure ourselves on diversity goals and we make sure that we're achieving the metrics. And the objective is really to try and make sure that every employee feels engaged at Parsons and is able to contribute fully. Yeah, that is, um, that it, it sounds like, you know, it's, it, was a, it was a seed and it's grown and it's taking on more kind of speed and kind of heft as time goes along. And I met, you know, the way that you set it up, you described having an ambassador at each location. You know, with a company the size of Parsons, it can't all come from you. I know you have pressure to be everywhere at once, right, at all these different locations um, to try to kind of share your message and your passion and your vision for Parsons. So how do you keep those ambassadors um, kind of on message and how much do they have um, kind of free reign to do their thing? How do, how do you package it all together with a company as large as yours with these ambassadors at all these separate locations? So we set up um, specific goals that we're going to do as a, at the company level. So a goal might be one year we want to improve mentoring across the company. A goal might be that we set up enterprise business resource groups. So they're basically affinity groups. And once we sort of have the corporate objectives, then we flow those down to each of the ambassadors. Okay. And the ambassadors um, do have the authority to do what makes sense in their local area, because each area, as you know, particularly in the engineering field is different. It's a lot different if I'm at a facility in Virginia versus a facility in California versus a facility in Florida. Right. So they can create events and activities that are meaningful to that their particular location. How do you choose who these ambassadors are going to be? Do they have to represent a diverse constituency to begin with, or how do you choose them? We let them volunteer. Okay. Um, and we think that's the best way because if you're selecting people, then they might not really be the right person for the job. Yeah. And might not put as much into it. So we really say if we have a major site, let's say in New York City, and we have several hundred people working there, we'll have a volunteer on who wants to be the ambassador. That's great. So we have at ACEC a diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging committee. And I think it's it, like you, I mean, it started out, the concept was inclusion and diversity, and it just continues to grow. And obviously, belonging and, and equity, um, you know, with this new legislation, equity is you know, much more important. But one of the things that has been interesting as this concept has grown in our involvement has deepened is how, how do you build the leadership of an effort like that? Because if it's only people from, you know, diverse backgrounds, gender diversity, ethnic diversity, age diversity, whatever, um, you might be missing out on the important buy-in that you need for, you know, that, that fever, if you will, the positive fever of really, you know, promoting diversity and inclusion throughout the industry uh, for that fever to grow. So, you know, we have had, uh, uh, we have a couple of white men that are helping to lead 
um, this effort for us. Um, it so happens that they also happen to be CEOs of these, you know, some some very significant firms that have taken this and really run with it. So um, I would agree with you that, you know, it's the people that really have the most passion, but you need to make sure that it's people that have those experiences, having, having been in the minority in some way, shape, or form, but it's also the people that represent kind of, you know, the, the broader population of that particular industry or profession, because um, if they're not buying in, then not much is going to change. So it really takes. And ultimately, to me, it comes down to diversity of thought. And to get diversity yes. of thought, you need engagement from everybody in your population, regardless of background. And, and I think diversity of experience, you know, diverse experiences yes. lead to that diverse thought. So. We could go on about that forever, but we have something a little bit uh, timely to talk about, and that's the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act that, you know, it really has got this whole industry buzzing. We're excited. This is a transformational piece of legislation. Um, I've never seen anything like this in my lifetime. I was born after the interstate highway system was, you know, conceived and built. So um, this, but this is akin to that. It, it, it's that big. I know that you all are really embracing the opportunities and you've got your own unique kind of spin on it, a campaign um, that kind of plays off of the Build Back Better concept, but that is called Build Back Smarter, that's focused on tying traditional infrastructure with technology and innovation. It's a great idea. I mean, in a nutshell, it's not your grandfather's infrastructure, right? I mean, let's not do it the way that, you know, we've been doing it in the past because society and our planet and, you know, the way people, the, the digital world that we're in right now, people do things way differently. And so you need to, we need to adapt. And so engineers are leading the way on that. So tell me a little bit about how you all are doing that. Yeah, first, so we're very, very excited about the infrastructure bill. It aligns extremely well with Parsons portfolio. Whether it's transportation, including work that we do in rail and transit, airports, ports, uh, the water, wastewater also ties into our portfolio, broadband, and even the utilities work. We're involved in uh, utilities um, work as well. So we're excited about the bill and what it means for our country. Um, I'll also highlight, too, that we're seeing a lot of growth in global infrastructure. So beyond the United States, there's a lot of spend that's being done in Canada as well as the Middle East. So for Parsons, it's a really important time for the infrastructure portion of our business. Because we're an advanced technology company, we have two pieces of the business. We have a group that is focused on federal government and really develops advanced technology like artificial intelligence, data analytics capabilities. We have some unique uses of drones, um, and we do a lot of work in cybersecurity. So we have the ability to build back smarter because we take our advanced technology capabilities, we apply those to the infrastructure side of the business. So if you think about some examples would be instead of designing roads and highways for a 30-year lifespan or bridges, tunnels, dams, how do you design them for a 100-year lifespan? How do you include sensors that can perform monitoring and basically give you better predictability. How do you use drones to be able to do inspection of bridges? How do you apply artificial intelligence to a system that does advanced traffic management to be able to get better predictability on accidents when uh, things would be cleared up, get people moving around more safely? Um, use of sensors for things like an intelligent intersection. 
um, you know, our intersections were kind of set and they basically didn't change for like three to five years. Now, post COVID, we've got whole different traffic patterns. So how do we use the intelligent intersections so that they change dynamically and allow first responders the ability to get through? So to encapsulate all that, it really means build back smarter. Um, this is the opportunity to build back smarter and really design for the future. I love that. And um, one of the reasons I love that so much is because it really showcases engineering, right? I mean, people talk about the Recovery Act, you know, during the Obama administration and shovel-ready projects. And as you know, that, you know, that's a that's a red flag for engineers when they hear shovel-ready projects because it means there's not going to be a lot of thought going into, yes. you know, laying down that asphalt and concrete. This is, in a lot of people's views, you know, much better use of our funds because it does promote the sustainability, the long-term project development that, you know, is, is we're not going to have to redo, you know, five years down the road. Right. Um, you know, under having that predictability, having those sensors kind of accelerating our, um, you know, the, the way that we use the infrastructure to promote mobility and, you know, our economic backbone, um, it's exciting. And so you guys are right at the crossroads of that. Yeah, it, it is really exciting. Even, you know, a couple other examples, if you think about airports of the future, how those will be reinvented post-COVID. You know, the whole way from the time you get out of your car, you go into the airport, you check in, you do your baggage. You know, you might have integrated health screening combined with ticketing. Um, the way you drive up to park, that can all be different. It can all be used of sensors. So, I mean, everything in our life really can be reimagined. Mm -hmm. Um, we like to say at Parsons, we create the future, and this is truly an opportunity to create the future of infrastructure. Yeah. You know, it's it, it, you think about what the origin of the need for a lot of this is, and um, to some extent, I think we've all been uh, spoiled by Amazon over the years, yes. right? You know, and the easy button, you know, those concepts of, I don't want to work too hard for it. And in this digital environment, I can just push a button and all this has been calculated. And that entry to the airport is a great example of that. You know, we're all in a hurry. We don't want to expend a lot of effort getting all the checks, you know, done just for us to get on a flight. So, um, you know, for engineers to come in and figure out how to do it, that's a great example of problem solving that really is, you know, central to, to who, who our folks are as engineers. So we are getting close to the end of our time here. I think I have a couple more uh, points that I wanted to raise with you. And then, you know, Carrie, anything you want to raise is, uh, of course, you know, I'd be, be happy to hear your views on what's going on and what you want us to know about what's happening at Parsons. But, um, you know, you talked already a bit about cybersecurity and cyber protection of critical infrastructure assets. Uh, this is so important. It's important for our um, nation's safety. It's important for um, our economic safety. It's important for, you know, the privacy of consumers, um, you know, and we've, we've heard about so many uh, engineering firms who have uh, suffered um, because of the bad guys that are out there. And, you know, they know that with our kind of hands in the middle of so many of these really critical projects, um, that if we're vulnerable, um, they're going to find a way in. And so you guys are really working big in that space. I'd like to hear a little bit more about, you know, how you think you all are going to be able to kind of move the ball forward in that. 
Yeah, so if you look at uh, Department of Homeland Security's defined 16 critical infrastructure sectors, and the way we approach it from Parsons is we look at areas that are highly regulated, um, that are high threat driven, um, and areas that we have domain expertise, because the intersection of those three pillars is basically um, we're differentiated in those markets. And those are going to be the ones that get the most funding as well, because they're going to be the most under attack. So if you step back and look out the 16 segments, we play in transportation, we play in utilities, we play in facilities area, um, and also in healthcare, to, just to name a few of the sectors. And what we can do that's unique is because we do have extensive cybersecurity capabilities, we understand, for example, how an airport operates. We understand how a port operates. We understand how a utility company operates. So we're best equipped to be able to provide that cybersecurity protection. And I would say it goes beyond cyber for information technology because you also have the operational technology component. So if you think about SCADA systems or industrial control systems, those were put into those sectors basically without security in mind at the time that those were designed. So Parsons is able to come in and approach protecting different sectors, both from an IT perspective as well as an OT perspective. Right. So, you know, it's... Um, you. You said uh, those systems were put in place without kind of a consideration for security. They were put in place for efficiency, right? And, you know, because we want everything now, we want it yesterday, right? So now we're at a position, we're in a position where we're really having to kind of go back and, and reinvent, aren't we? Yeah, most definitely protect things, legacy systems that are out there. Yeah. But most importantly, design with security in mind as you put new systems, greenfield systems in yeah. place. So um, just take a minute, if you will, and tell me about some of the exciting projects you all are involved in right now. If you were going to say, you know, here is the poster child of how Parsons is involved in, in innovative engineering solutions that um, we want the world's policymakers to know about, what kinds of things fall into that category for you? Well, so I, w I would say, um, starting with the critical infrastructure sector, one of our biggest projects would be the LAX modernization program. That's an example of where we're a program, basically an owner engineer, a program management office providing support to what is probably the largest aviation infrastructure project that's underway. Um, if I move around the world to the Middle East, we're involved in some exciting programs there. An example would be um, NEOM, which is a new uh city, industrial city that's going to be built on the Red Sea. And NEOM is going to be basically designed from the sand up. So there's going to be a new airport, for example, that's going to be put into NEOM. We want a program management job there and we're in the process of pursuing the airport opportunity. Um, if I move around the world a little bit further up into Canada, we're involved in some of the major rail projects up in Canada. Uh, Edmonton uh, Light Rail Transit would be a big one. And then on the federal side of our house, um, I mentioned cybersecurity is a big area for us and not as much tied to infrastructure, but we do a lot of work in the space area in terms of integrated launch, uh, space ground systems, um, and space situational awareness. Um, and then we're involved in uh, some missile defense projects as well. Wow. That really is a very diverse portfolio. That's got to be a lot to keep up with it. One thing I'm noticing as you're talking about these projects, um, all are you know big and obviously impactful and hugely consequential, but um, if I am a 16 or 17-year-old and I'm thinking about going to college and I'm thinking about changing the world, 
I want to look at an engineering firm that is doing something that I know is going to make the world safer or make the world ultimately um, healthier, you know, dealing with, for example, climate change, extreme weather issues. I think these are the kinds of motivating concepts where, you know, the people that are coming out of high school and college these days are saying, you know, how can I? How can I make a difference? You know, I don't want to. I don't want to just go to a nine-to-five job and, you know, sign a timesheet and push around a bunch of paper. I want to make a difference. So, what do you have at Parsons that's going on right now where you think the young people of today would be really inspired? Yeah. So, first, our motto is we deliver a better world at Parsons. We deliver a world that is safer, um, that is more efficient, and that's true on whether it's a federal side of our business or the critical infrastructure Mm -hmm. side of the business. And what I would say to somebody at that age is we're all about creating the future. I was asked recently, well, what company do you want to emulate? And I said, we don't want to emulate anybody. We're creating a company that is designing the future, whether it's future of transportation or the future of defense or the future of cyber. That's what we're about so I would say to a young person, if you want to create the future, come join Parsons because that's what we're going to be doing. Right. That's, and that's exciting. Who wouldn't want to do that? Right, Jeff? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. That brings us to? Well, um, right, about, uh, right about time, actually. Um, and that was a fantastic conversation. Um, and I think it's a good example of the diversity of the work that uh, Parsons is engaged in and our, and our industry is engaged in. And for those listening who may not be completely um, familiar with engineering, or you know, it, it's that wide gambit of the services, the intellectual power of trying to solve complex challenges that make your lives better, uh, our lives better, and also our nation more secure and productive. And and I think from the conversation, it is it's a good explanation that Parsons is directly engaged in all of those fronts. And then, of course, it was a great opportunity to hear from two executives on, um, you know, really with this great opportunity with the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act and, and all of this potential that is there. Because now that the policy is done, we've moved to implementation, and that's where it comes into our field to actually make policy translate into something tangible um no but this is this has been great um and 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 i do appreciate the time um uh, carrie that you've given us and uh, we look forward to working with uh uh with with parsons as an active member of the acec community in the months and years ahead um and and linda thank you very much for adding your expertise and it's, it's always great to take a back seat to allow people who are actually doing things um to talk about it so uh, thank you very much. And again, this has been Engineering Influence Podcast from the American Council of Engineering Companies. And we'll see you again real soon. Mm-hmm.